This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Support for today's show comes from Google Play. Did you know that you can now download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play? That's right. With hands-free listening using Google Assistant or Chromecast, you can enjoy thousands of titles a la carte, no subscription necessary. There's even multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem. And for a limited time, you get $10 off your first one by visiting g.co slash play slash kick. That's g.co slash play slash kick. Find your story with audiobooks on Google Play. And now, enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. For 150 years, the Ku Klux Klan has had the dubious distinction of being the most hateful and hated club in America. And given its racist ideology, it's easy to assume that it's a pretty exclusive group, at least if you're black, or Jewish, or any other minority. But it turns out that the KKK's vetting process isn't quite as airtight as you might think. In 1979, Ron Stallworth, the first black man to join the Colorado Springs PD, also became the first, and as far as anyone knows, only black member of the KKK when he answered, of all things, a classified ad in the back of his local newspaper. In fact, his membership was personally expedited and signed by the KKK Grand Wizard David Duke, who struck up a bizarre phone friendship with Stallworth, all the while unaware that he was talking to an African-American and a cop intent on taking down his hateful cult. I know, it sounds just too crazy to be true, but all the best stories are, and it's the subject of Spike Lee's latest film, Black Klansman, which stars John David Washington as the black cop who fooled the KKK, and Topher Grace in a disturbing and at times hilarious performance as David Duke. And today, Topher joins me on the podcast to talk about the agony of having to read David Duke's autobiography for the role, how he was shocked to find that Duke was using phrases like America First and Make America Great Again some 50 years before Donald Trump, and the direct line between the well-dressed, college-educated hate monger and the new breed of white nationalism driving the so-called alt-right today. He reveals what it was like to have the real Ron Stallworth sitting in on rehearsals for Black Klansmen, why David Duke still officially denies he was ever duped by a black man, and what David Duke said when he recently reached out to Ron Stallworth just a few days ago. Topher shares how director Spike Lee helped him play the king of all racists, what it was like to screen the film to a 10-minute standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival, and how he hopes releasing the movie on the one-year anniversary of the violent protests in Charlottesville may help to spur a larger dialogue about race and hate in America. Plus, Topher gets a Twitter shout-out from the not-so-grand wizard himself, David Duke. Coming up with Topher Grace in just a moment. In addition to starring in the hit sitcom That 70s Show, Topher Grace has had memorable roles in films like Traffic, Spider-Man 3, In Good Company, and last year's War Machine. Now he's playing, of all people, former KKK leader David Duke in Spike Lee's latest film, Black Klansman. 
Kofer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on the movie. I saw it. You're great in it, oh, and thanks, it's a great man. film. Black Klansman actually opens on Friday, August 10th. I imagine it's no coincidence that it's the one-year anniversary of the infamous Charlottesville rally, huh? No coincidence there, yeah. There's some footage of Charlottesville at the end of the film. It's devastating. Yeah, I'm sure that you must share a little bit of my frustration that here we are in 2018. We think we've made all this progress as a nation, and then all of a sudden, what? The KKK is back, and you know Nazis are a thing again. I yeah. mean, it's crazy. Uh, when this happened, uh, when I got the script for this film, Charlottesville had just happened, and you know, being an actor can be kind of a silly job. You know, you play pretend for a living, but every once in a while, you get a script where you go, you know, I might be able to say something. I mean, it's really Spike Lee mm-hmm. saying something here, but I might be able to help him say something. That's something I really agree with. At the time, uh, my wife and I had just had our first. So you're really looking around the world saying, like, what kind of world am I bringing this person into? Yeah. And uh, everyone has questions. I mean, everyone's really confused. But it was so cathartic to be able to just work on something that, you know, posed a lot of the questions that uh, that I had at that time. What's chilling about it is your character, David Duke, is using similar white man's burden rhetoric that we hear from the alt-right today in phrases like America first and make America great again. Do you think that there's a direct line between David Duke and this new breed of white nationalism we're seeing today? Yes. The film is uh, in its structure very much like kind of what happened to America. Um, I mean, Spike's brilliant. The first shot of the film is the Civil War, and the last shot takes place in Charlottesville. And yes, he tells this really entertaining story about this uh, black man who became a Ku Klux Klan member. But in doing that, what makes him such a master is he really ties a, uh, a string from, from the Civil War to uh, today. David Duke specifically kind of enters the film about halfway through, and it's uh, he kind of does to the film what he did to America when he got on the scene, which is... You know, I guess in the early 70s, the idea of a racist was maybe like a redneck, beer belly guy. Um, David kind of, this is what makes him so evil. He kind of rebranded racism. He's a very well-spoken, very intelligent man who kind of used it for the wrong purposes and uh, put a new face on racism so it became more palatable to more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that they talk about in the movie is how he was the guy who wasn't wearing his robes in public, wasn't saying the N-word in public. Yeah, he, he wore a suit on, it looks great, yeah. You know, a lot of the, man, I had to do so much research. It was like, best day of my life. I get a call from Spike Lee, you're my guy. You know, I mean, it's like, really, you wait your career for, yeah. I mean, he's an evil man, but it's a really juicy, wonderful role. Yeah. Um, what was then, your reaction when he told you what the role uh, was? I, no, I knew. I, look, I wanted the role. So yeah. to get it was like amazing. And then I kind of looked at my wife and went, oh, my God, this is going to be the worst next month of my life. Because it's uh, I read his autobiography, which is like really? his. Yeah, it's called My Awakening. Um, but it's hard to even get a hold of. When you walk into Barnes and Noble and say like, "Do you have David Duke's book?" <laughs> yeah. They kind of look at you like, uh, "No, we don't carry that." Yeah, that's one you get on Amazon, I think. <laughs> Even then, the Amazon's kind of like, "Did you mean to order?" Um, you know, the modern day Mein Kampf. You know, but <clears throat> I wanted to read it. It, it. it is. It is his autobiography. It is more kind of his belief system and his arguments. And it was 
a really thick book and very just overwhelmingly negative to read. And I watched a lot of filmed interviews of his from the 70s and listened to his radio show. And the most helpful thing was he was on a couple episodes of Donahue in the early 80s. And that's where I really pinpointed what I think is so evil about him is that they were booing at him when the show started because he's the grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan. This audience, it's like 300 people or something. And then by the end of the episode, he they weren't with him, but they like he figured them out a little bit. Yeah. And you know, on those episodes, uh, wow. to your point, he used the terms uh, make America great again and uh, America first a lot. Wow. And it really jumps out when you're watching it. I mean, I don't know who else yeah. is watching uh, 80s <laughs> episodes of the Donnie yeah, but it really jumps out if you're watching it in 2017. Listening to the radio show and reading the book and watching that, did you start to get some idea of how he seduces people who otherwise might not be led into this kind of an ideology and how he rationalizes it to the point of being almost acceptable for people? Uh, yeah, and that's what was so scary yeah. is that... Um, he was the sea change, I think, um, that brought us in many ways to where we are today. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he's in the end of the film. Trump's in the end of the film. And uh, look, I was really nervous is the wrong word. I don't want to play David Duke in a movie. I don't want to do, do like a TV movie of the week about David right, Duke. The David Duke story. Yeah. <laughs> I only want to play David yeah. Duke in a Spike Lee joint where he's yeah. saying, he's not just saying one thing, he's saying many things. And mm. it was uh, the only person that I would have felt safe. This is before I met Spike. I just knew reading the script, this is a great role, but there's only one person you can do it with. Yeah, I can imagine. And one thing that's interesting about this film that I liked is David Duke is at once both the villain in the movie and he's also sort of the butt of the joke. Was well, it that's hard so to brilliant. walk that tightrope? So brilliant about Spike is that none of those guys, not to give anything away about the film, but none of the guys are cool. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> which is, um, I've seen movies where maybe not white supremacists, but the bad guys have some element of, like you can see where somewhere someone thinks they might be cool. And what yeah. was so great about the script and Spike wrote on it, and also we talked about this a lot in rehearsals, is that uh, you have to make sure that even though it's funny and even though um, the character is evil, that he's never powerful and mm -hmm. he's, there's no one who could think that he's cool. Yeah, you don't want to play a cool supervillain like yeah. Spider-Man 3. <laughs> when, you, when you were playing the Joker, let's yeah. say, like... Uh, you know, it's like a fictional character. You can, I know a lot of actors who say like, you know, find something relatable, even though it's the Joker, like find something that you have empathy yeah. that you, so you can play the character. Well, uh, the more research I did on David, the more I hated the guy. And uh, I never found that thing to my kind of my way in to him. So I just played it as yeah, um, just totally evil. Beyond just hate, what do you think of the things that drive men like David Duke? I mean, there has to be more to it. Uh, narcissism or the drive for power. I, I mean, Who it's, knows? it's beyond me. I mean, even doing as much research, I had a month of this research and it was, wow. I mean, he asked my wife, she was like, leave. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But, uh, but I couldn't figure out what was driving. I mean, certainly the stuff he presents to the public, which is all the stuff I saw, you, you can't. Mm -hmm. tell 
why he's so twisted, but um, it wasn't a surprise to me, especially when I saw those episodes of Donahue that he went into uh, public office mm-hmm. or, or ran for public office a couple of years after that. Um, he just has a way with people, um, to my yeah. opinion, that he's misusing that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just bizarre. I mean, did you want to take a shower every time you stepped into his shoes in this movie? It's funny, the the shooting of the film was really fun. Okay. Uh, yeah, John David is, most of my stuff is with him. He's an amazing actor, so it's really fun to Yeah, John David Washington, yeah. Denzel's son, by the way. Yeah. That's right, yeah, so he actually has been in a Spike Lee film before. He played young Malcolm X in right, you know, right. Malcolm X 20 years ago. <laughs> But uh, so I had a blast with him and Spike. Spike has a really fun tone on set. I mean, the tone of the film is actually, um, <laughs> it's hard to define because it is devastating by the end, but he's a really entertaining director. Oh, yeah. And that tone was on set and it kind of bled into the film. So I loved the doing of it. It was the preparing for it and you're not just trying to do an impression physically of the guy. You're also trying to kind of get into his head and just a place, you know, you don't want to be. Now, you're not a method actor, are you? You, you weren't going no. around all... Know, funny. I was watching that Jim Carrey, you know that Jim Carrey documentary thing. where yeah, he... Yeah, exactly. Jim Carrey's <laughs> like, what was that movie? Uh, Man in the Moon, yeah. where he's, he acted like Andy Kaufman the whole time. I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, it's hard if you're acting as Andy Kaufman 24-7. Yeah. But I am not sure I would have kept my job if I <laughs> acted like David Duke 24-7. Also, it's just not the type of actor I am. I'm yeah. usually pretty really? loose on set. Um, Although with this one, it just got me, I mean, I'm never someone who brings my work home with me or I've been doing it a while now and it's not hard for me normally, but there were a couple days, we shot all the KKK rally stuff in one week. And by the end of that week, I was really close to depressed. And that's why you need to be with a great uh, leader like Spike. He would come up to me and kind of rub my back a little bit and say like, hey man, like, I know this feels overwhelmingly awful, but you know I, I know what I'm doing. You're serving my message. Yeah. You know, like, don't worry, I'm Spike Lee. <laughs> and he was right. I was really happy with it when I saw it. Okay, so there was never any concern that if you were too good, he was going to get pissed off and hate you or something? No, it's, it's the opposite. Yeah. Uh, look, a great director like that, you're just lucky as an actor because there aren't that many yeah. to be able to work with uh, a real visionary like Spike, uh, they take care of the film, right? The shots and mm-hmm. how it's going to look and the script, but they also take care of their actors. So even when I went to read for him, I, when I said I want to play David Duke, like no one saw it. Um, I had just read his, the script because I was such a huge fan of his. When I said I wanted to play it, they said, well, you got to go in and read for him. And I said, I'm happy to do it. No, why would anyone know that I'd be able to do this? Um, but even so, it was so awkward at the beginning, like before I read for him, I said, I'm just, you know, I watched a lot of like YouTube videos uh, from behind the scenes of Django Unchained. Oh, yeah. It just, I was like, how do they do it? Like, how do yeah. you do it? Yeah. And yeah. then when someone yells cut, uh, and the answer is it is awkward. Yeah. There's no uh, kind of secret to it. But you have a great leader like Spike. What he did was before I started reading, he just went to work making me feel as comfortable as possible. He uses a lot of humor, and and he's very sure of himself as he should be, and uh, and I just felt like I then gave him a reading yeah, that then supportive. got me the part. So you know, it's yeah. because of him. Yeah, that's really cool because I could imagine it would be really awkward 
after a take if you're sitting at lunch with like the cast and crew and yeah <laughs> you're like i was just acting i was just well the one thing job, he guys. he would do is he'd run in sometimes if you're in like a comedy film the director will run in and give you a like a line like a comedy line yeah. he'll just whisper it in your ear <laughs> and then you'll say it and even the other actors didn't know you were going to say it and you know you kind of get credit for the line essentially and he'd run in and whisper in my ear the most racist thing i'd ever <laughs> Her. I mean, I never even really? said something like that. And then I'd say, Spike, like, what? you don't have to whisper that to me. Like, you can announce to the whole crew that I'm going to say that line. I don't want someone yeah. to think, like, whoa, did Topher just come up with that? Like, <laughs> He's improvising. I mean, yeah, good Lord. <laughs> From the heart. I mean, yeah, so I just made him say yeah. everything out loud. I mean, it seems to me that playing a hate monger like David Duke is one of those parts that could either be, you know, something that makes or breaks an actor's career. Were there any people around you or managers who Mm. maybe didn't at first want you to take on this role? I, I don't know. I'm pretty stubborn (laughs) and, uh, I don't think, uh, maybe when I was younger, I had people like that around me, but I don't have anyone around me anymore who would, um, I'm sure people or even were, your wife. I don't know. No, I, people were like, why? Yeah, that's one where trust me, I, I, yeah. I lose fights with uh, that person. <laughs> but I, I uh, no, she. Um, I think she was aware that it was. You know, she shares the same frustrations I do, mm-hmm. especially having just had a kid. And you kind of, you just you want to say something. I mean, look, actors shouldn't say things in my opinion, or, or, or people shouldn't listen to what actors say, right? I mean, they're not, there's nothing qualifying them to, um, to say things to people politically or otherwise. But sometimes you can, through, you know, because at the end of the day it is art, you know, and you can help someone great like Spike Lee, kind of, you know, he'll make something that mm-hmm. actually speaks on a national level. And if you agree with it, um, no, my wife was really supportive because she, also uh, shares some uh, views with what the script was saying, what Spike was saying. And it's so great to be able to, um, so rare you get to, like I, I saw the trailer and I say America first. And that came out of me seeing the stuff on Donahue and then suggesting wow. it in rehearsals. And then I thought, is Trump going to see this? I mean, I, I don't know if he'll <laughs> see the movie, but he'll see the trailer. We all know he watches TV. He'll probably tweet about it without having seen it. We're hoping for that tweet. I mean, that'd be, Focus is probably dying for that tweet (laughs) to come out. But but I remember thinking, oh, wow, that was, I mean, talking about an artistic decision that then, you know, might kind of reach that level. That was great. I'll tell you where my wife didn't love it was we had like a newborn and I was, rehearsing my lines around the house and she said hey can you cool it on the hate speech you know like please, our daughter she yeah she's not to... starting to mimic yet is she no she was too young <laughs> okay, at that good. time but um yeah i had to go alone do it in my office or something <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break and then i'll be back with more with topher grace when we come back in just a minute Did you spend the night tossing and turning? If so, I feel your pain, literally. Chronic back and neck pain have led to many a sleepless night for me, and even worse is that feeling when you wake up all stiff and achy. That's no way to start your day. I talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of getting a full night's sleep. It's vital to your physical, mental, and emotional health, and even your overall longevity. So if you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a purple mattress. 
Made with a brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist, the Purple Mattress will feel different than anything you've experienced. Unlike traditional memory foam, the Purple Mattress is both firm and soft, so it's supportive yet comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. That's a big one for me. And with their 100-night risk-free guarantee, if you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. Not to mention, it's backed by a 10-year warranty with free shipping and returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, our listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just go to purple.com and use my promo code KICK at checkout. That's purple.com, code KICK. Remember, the only way to get this free pillow is to use my code KICK at checkout. Purple.com, code KICK. Are you smarter or more devoted than the average NFL fan? Then be sure to catch the Move the Sticks podcast hosted by former NFL scouts Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Jeremiah and Brooks break down the most impressive performances of the week, explaining how individual players and teams are able to be successful based on their skill sets, technique, and coaching decisions. The Move the Sticks podcast provides detailed analysis of the college and pro game from seasoned experts. From the NFL combined straight through the Super Bowl, there's no off-season on the Move the Sticks podcast. With guests like NFL GMs, head coaches, and top draft prospects, no one brings you the inner workings of football better than the Move the Sticks podcast. Having followed the league's top talent from high school to the NFL draft, DJ and Bucky will tell you exactly who will emerge as the next big stars. Subscribe now to the Move the Sticks podcast with new episodes dropping three times a week, available on your favorite podcast app or NFL.com. And now... Back to the show. There is this great scene in there where it juxtaposes two different responses to the film Birth of the Nation. And what I love about it is it really drives home the power of art to inspire action for better or for worse. As an actor, so many roles you just go into, you do your part to make a fun movie and hopefully audiences like it and they like you in it. But with this film, did you feel that you had a greater chance to really contribute something to the conversation about where this country's heading? Yeah. I mean, look, it's really Spike. Uh, he is qualified to speak on that national level. So what you want to do is get with someone that's, you know, a genius like that and just help them in any way you can. Um, that scene... Man, when I saw that, when it premiered at the Cannes Film yeah. Festival, I hadn't seen it yet because I was doing a movie in Canada. I went to Cannes and I, I didn't know they'd cross-cut what I was doing with Harry Belafonte, who's yeah. 92 years old. Yeah. I mean, like, and he a was, civil rights activist himself. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I just met him at the premiere in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah? I was what hanging was out with like? him and I thought, what universe am I in right now that I'm <laughs> hanging out with Harry Belafonte? And he's like, hey, I loved our stuff together. I, I, it's blowing my mind. Yeah. Yeah, and what's powerful about that scene, because you have him talking about, in character, talking about how Birth of a Nation inspired an actual lynching that is in the history books that's really happened, and you have that juxtaposed against the KKK sitting there watching Birth of a Nation and cheering it on and laughing. And I mean, to some extent, although it's in extremes, it sort of shows how in this day and age, Americans can read the same information, see the same movie, read the same tweet, and have two completely different reactions to the exact same content. Well, I love what you're saying. I'm not sure I've heard someone say that before about that scene. I mean, I love how 
there were two or three scenes that were edited like uh, different than we thought when they were on set. One of them is that Kwame Ture mm-hmm. um, speech that he gives, and um, I thought they did an amazing job with that. And then when I saw the cross-cutting of that scene, um, also he's talking about, I mean... <laughs> No one will understand this because they haven't seen the talk, but he's talking about... <laughs> well, yeah, I don't want to uh, get... Harry Belafonte's talking about spying on this, you know, from up in the window, and then uh, John Washington's spying on our thing, and look, it's great craftsmanship, and I love what you're taking from it. I think that's so... You probably experienced some of that on this program. Uh, yeah, more than a few times, right. yeah. Now, I, I think that you mentioned earlier that this is actually based on a true story. Uh, it's funny because it kind of reminds me of this old Dave Chappelle skit where he plays a... a Dave Chappelle was at the premiere blind, last night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. A, there's a skit where he's a blind black man who accidentally joins the Clan. This yeah. is the real deal. I mean, when tell they us first a little about Spike, this guy. He, when, I think when Jordan uh, Peele called um, Spike and said, hey, look at this film, or he told him the plot of it, I think Spike's first reaction was, do you mean like the Dave Chappelle <laughs> sketch? Yeah. And uh, I I thought that, uh, I guess I'm sure I thought the same thing when I first got it. Uh, but the thing that makes this so interesting is it happened. Yeah. I mean, I was on the red carpet last night with Ron Stallworth, who did this. Yeah. He, he, not he only, was a cop, right? Who joined the Colorado Springs uh, African-American to yeah. join uh, the Colorado Springs uh, Police Department. And uh, he led this investigation uh, to great success, and he was in touch with David Duke, and he told us the first day, the table read, he told us the whole story. I've never had an experience like this, where you're doing something based on real life. The guy comes in, he tells us the whole story, then we effectively told it back to him by having a read-through, reading the script. At the end, they kind of said, someone asked the question, like, does David Duke believe that this happened? He said, no, no. He, when the book came out in 2006, uh, Ron's book, he denied it. And then he took out of his wallet his KKK membership card, which is signed <laughs> by David Duke, and passed it around. And we were all like about to go make this movie. And we all looked at this card. It was unbelievable. Anyway, about four nights ago, uh, as of this broadcast, uh, David Duke called Ron. Oh, my God. Yeah. What did he say? <laughs> I think he was nervous that he's going to come off bad. Maybe he doesn't understand that there's no changing the movie now. <laughs> Wait, David Duke was worried that he was going to come off bad in a Spike Lee movie yeah. <laughs> called Black Landsman. Yeah. So uh, uh, <laughs> I, I turned to Spike. I went, sequel. <laughs> yeah. So what did Ron say back to him? Um, I, you know, I, I actually talked to Ron about it really briefly yesterday, but I want to get more into it with him. I, I, the yeah. fact that he called him, the, the important thing is that David kind of in doing that was admitting that they had spoken before. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't want to give away too much, but essentially he is a black cop who convinces David Duke that he's a white man who wants to join the KKK. He joins and you know, in fact, David Duke, even, they have even like arranges, a close friendship kind of, yeah. yeah it's like yeah, they're uh, talking on the phone all the time. Really crazy. <laughs> it's um, remarkable. But it's one of those things. If you didn't, if it didn't happen in real life, you couldn't make, yeah. make this movie because people yeah. wouldn't believe that it happened. But the fact that it's based on a true story, I mean, I've met the guy <laughs> and he sat there and told me the story. It made it possible. Yeah. Now, uh, how did Ron react to your performance as David Duke? Did, was he serious? Did he laugh? <laughs> well, how did uh, take it? he was laughing back then. I mean, as he tells the story, <laughs> the whole thing was kind of hilarious that he could... I mean, a big chunk of the movie is uh, both his 
police captain and then David Duke over the phone uh, are kind of talking about how they would know if they were talking to a black man. I mean, he was <laughs> t- saying this too racist Ron. in itself. Yep. And yeah. uh, so he thought all that was kind of ironic and hilarious. And when he tells the story now, I think he gets like, still gets a good chuckle out of it. Um, Ron's an amazing guy. I mean, to, to know the guy uh, is a real privilege, especially making the story and having him tell you how it went down. It becomes less about, you know, research. You yeah. just have to kind of listen to what he says and kind of reenact it. Yeah. I will tell you, after the premiere, he came up to me and said, you, you know, I forgot you were you. I really thought at times you were David Duke. And I was like, man, I don't know how to take this compliment. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, he's very kind about it. Yeah, at least he didn't punch you. But you do look like, I looked at old photos. You do look a lot like him it's with so the mustache funny and the Dude, when I the said big, I should do it, I said, I said, I want to play this role. No one agreed. I mean, like, yeah. I think tonally I hadn't done something like this. And no one saw it. So it's, uh, so I'm thrilled when people say that I'm like him, even though, you know, <laughs> like I, I don't know how to take it. Yeah. <laughs> so the KKK and David Duke, do they still deny that they got duped by a black man? Is it just a conspiracy theory as far as they're concerned? What's the official line now? I don't know. Cause this four nights ago, it all kind of changed uh, yeah. when he called Ron. So I don't really, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I wouldn't know yeah, anyway. Right? I mean, there's no denying, you know, a KKK membership card. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, but look, I'm not on the newsletter. Unbelievable. So. I mean, I have to wonder, have you heard anything yourself about your portrayal of David Duke from David or the KKK yet? Are well, like I said, I'm not, uh, I don't follow him on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> is he even Twitter savvy? You know, he is. Uh, wow. Here's how I know is I did a article when it premiered in Cannes that was kind of overwhelmingly negative about David and uh, how tough it was to play him and how much I disagree with his beliefs. And this is this whole article. And in it, I talked about how he used the terms America first and make America mm-hmm. great again a lot in my research. And I woke up one morning, like a month later, and my wife said, hey, uh, David Duke is tweeting about you. <laughs> What universe am I living in? So uh, I went and saw the tweet, and I thought, this is a great example of his evil. Uh, yeah, but he's really smart. He kind of said, you know, it's kind of a political move. He said, uh, thank you, Topher. I guess he'd read that article. I agree. Maybe I should sue Donald Trump for stealing my phrases. And I went, how? He was looked he at that article. Was cute there? <laughs> I mean, I think he was like, I don't know how he pulled something positive out of this article but i went like whoa what a political (laughs) yeah that's a spin master right there black klansman got 10 minute standing ovation at this year's Cannes film festival that must have felt pretty good was that your first time at Cannes? oh yeah i've never been to Cannes. i kind of had heard about it a couple times and thought you know wouldn't that be neat to go with something you know it's obviously you want to go with something that you're as proud of as this film um but no one really prepared me for what uh, that could be. I mean, also I hadn't seen the film, so I was hoping it was really going to felt really good on the set, but I don't think I could have imagined it would have been this good. We get to this theater and, you know, there's that long red carpet and there's all this great tradition, but I would have been happy if I saw this film in like the focus features, like screening room <laughs> in studio city or something. Sure. And then to, it is excellent to see it, you know, with 2000 people and then have 
you know, people clap for 10 minutes afterwards. Like one minute standing ovation is obnoxious. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like 10 minutes, I mean, I don't know what to do. The one funny thing is they, they um, no one kind of warned me about this either. They put a video camera on the actors' faces oh, yeah. and that <laughs> shot goes up on the big screen. This is after the Were film. Everyone's clapping and throwing flowers and it was like an amazing <laughs> thing. And then it went to John David Washington. They went to Laura. And then when it came to me, kind of the ovation kind of stopped for a second. <laughs> I mean, it's so hard to clap for that character. I mean, I hope that's what it was. Maybe did, did they a boo? Job. No, it was just kind <laughs> of it like mellowed out for a second. Yeah. And then it went to Corey and they, it became a great standing ovation again. And I went, man, I think it's because I did a good job, but may, I don't know. Maybe it's because I did a bad job. <laughs> I was trying to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, even for Spike, that must have been kind of a big full circle moment because I think his big debut was when uh, Do the Right Thing premiered in 89 at Cannes. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. He had sure. this amazing tuxedo on. And we, as we were walking up the stairs, you know, those famous stairs on the red carpet, I was looking at his... His, the tails of his tuxedo. And I was like, we're really legitimately riding his coattails <laughs> like <laughs> up this uh, yeah. red carpet. But, um, you know, I was just so excited to be there with someone who's, who's that much of a visionary. Yeah, spending so much time with a genius director like Spike, uh, did that make you maybe want to get into the director's chair one day yourself? No. All nope. that does is prove to you. <laughs> Intimidating. You know, it's funny, Chris Nolan, who I had a part in Interstellar, and he was there that night because he was, I think, there with 2001. There's kind oh, of yeah, some yeah. reissue of that film. And he was in the audience, and I was looking at these two guys going, first of all, I'm so proud that I just got to work for both of them. And working with people like that, you go, I mean, I could never direct. I mean, I, you can't even <laughs> touch what they do. Well, you're a hell of a good actor, so let's stick with that for the time yeah, being. I could I play guess. a director in something, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, want to mention that I loved you in War Machine as well oh, as this. Um, you've certainly done dramatic roles before, but are you interested in more political themes going forward? Yeah, you know, I felt that way about Truth, that Kate mm-hmm. Blanchett movie. Right. I did yeah, too. Yeah, that as well. I basically had a thing <clears throat> about f- uh, five or six years ago where I kind of said to my agents then, not my agents anymore. I kind of said like, "Hey, I." Uh, I, I I don't mind what I've been doing, but I I really want to be more challenged by stuff. I want to do s- just different things. And they kind of said, like, what do you mean different? I said, I don't know. I just want everything to be, I don't know, like new and how it felt when I first started acting. Yeah. Where it's more challenging. And so I wanted to be, you think about the result a lot. You, you know, like, yeah. is the movie going to open? Or, and I was, I was done with that. I just wanted to feel amazing on set and love the work and, uh, you know, work with, geniuses like some of the guys we're talking about and that's a tough thing to say to your agents because they kind of it's like announcing like i don't want to make money anymore um and you know i don't know if everyone knows how hollywood works but they get a piece of what you get so it just doesn't make a lot of sense but i felt very strongly that uh i just wanted to try new things and be just really excited on set i didn't even care how the movies did um and so working on Interstellar was the first one. I kind of had a small part in that, but I was so, just felt so alive working with Chris. He's like amazing. And uh, watching his process and then uh, doing that Cape Blanchett movie and Robert Redford was in it. It was like a journalism movie with yeah. Robert Redford. I, mean, I was like just loving life on that set. And then War Machine was, David Michaud yeah, did Animal that Kingdom. That was awesome. It was one of the great yeah. films, I think, the last 10 years. And so working with him and now Spike, I just, this is how uh, 
it's kind of the world I want to live in. Yeah. Well, you're just fantastic in this. And I'm just going to go on record as saying you're one to remember come award season this oh, year. Thank you, man. Again, Black Klansman opens in theaters Friday, August 10th. Go see it. Toe for Grace. Thanks for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Topher Grace for coming on the podcast. See Spike Lee's Black Klansman, now showing in theaters. Check your local listings for showtimes, or for more information, visit focusfeatures.com slash blackklansman. That's three Ks, get it? KKK. And follow Topher on Twitter at at Topher Grace. Support for today's show comes from Google Play. Did you know that you can now download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play? That's right, with hands-free listening using Google Assistant or Chromecast, you can enjoy thousands of titles a la carte, no subscription necessary. There's even multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem. And for a limited time, you get $10 off your first one by visiting g.co slash play slash kick. That's g.co slash play slash kick. Find your story with audiobooks on Google Play. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickAssNewsPod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and ideas at comments at KickAssNews.com. I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.